1: In 1987, two teenage boys in Arkansas were run over by a train, and to hear it from the Sheriff's Department, that's about all that happened. Over the next few weeks, we'll cover the controversy surrounding the boys on the tracks. In part one, we'll meet the boys, recount what the train conductor and his crew witnessed, and discuss the initial police investigation, which included a very bizarre medical examiner's report. I'm
2: Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you're a fan of good old fashioned mysteries, stick around because tonight's story is the start of a doozy. This is Necronomopod.
0: The cover up began immediately, um, it expanded to the medical examiner, Fahmy Malik. We were absolutely puzzled and outraged over the ruling uh, of accidental as a manner of death. Uh, we didn't think that the facts supported that ruling, uh, and what we
2: started out to do was just to obtain a second opinion. We met resistance
0: from all fronts, from law enforcement, from the crime lab. Uh, We retained an attorney, a private investigator, and obtained court orders to get um, testable samples of everything that they had in order to get a second opinion. And Femi Malik refused to obey the court orders.
1: So we had a few weeks of fun, and... Good times after um, Dean Corll, right? We did some poltergeist, some UFO, good stuff. Now we're going to piss some people off for a few
0: weeks, right? (laughs) Back to the rough stuff, huh? A frustrating story. It really is. Yeah. Part one certainly was. We're off to a a frustrating start. It almost gives me vibes of Waco. How... um, Remember when we interviewed uh, David Thibodeau? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he said... It's a very scary feeling when the people that you call for help, law enforcement, are the ones against you. And this gives me that vibe that they're actively working against these parents. It sure seems
2: like that's possible. There's a lot of compounded incompetency, and it seems even more than incompetency. Willful neglect, disregard something. The cops in this story make the John
1: cops look like the most professional organization <laughs> there has ever been.
2: That's that's one way to put it. <laughs> because
1: I think at least in the John Bonet one, you can just say they were just dumb and negligent. I think in 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 some of that stuff, whereas in this one, like they're going
2: out of their way to skew the truth. I have some thoughts on this that we can get into later. Okay, I'm just sat, sat in the tone. <laughs> <I know. laughs>
1: You know, like I think I just think it was probably poor judgment to like throw, uh, what was it, the Colorado Avalanche sweatshirt on John Bene's body and yeah. move it. I don't think they were actively trying to change the outcome of the investigation. That's uh, fair. That's one may well, you know, we'll talk about it. Well, let's just got dive in. Uh,
0: on August 22nd, 1987, in Alexander, Arkansas, which is, uh, in Saline County, 17 year old. Kevin Ives and 16-year-old Don Henry were kind of making the most of their last days of summer before school started back up. This would have been on a Saturday, and the two of them hung out in a parking lot of an arcade until about midnight, and then they headed back to Don's house to stay the night. Don lived with his father, Curtis Henry, and his stepmother, Marvell. Kevin's parents, Linda and Larry, uh, weren't thrilled with Kevin staying at Don's house that night, but Kevin talked them into it. The reasoning behind this was that a couple weeks before, Curtis Henry called to Ives' house to see if the boys were over there. Linda answered the phone and was like, no, they're supposed to be at your house. And Linda found out that Don had gotten into a fight with Curtis and Don and Kevin took off to stay at another friend's house.
2: Just for some uh, geography, Mm -hmm. Alexander is 16 miles southwest of Little Rock, Arkansas. 2,900 people, so it's a small place. I don't know if, if that's even considered a suburb of Little Rock. That's how far out—sixteen miles. It seems pretty close to be such a small town to a big city. But we're going to talk
0: about Little Rock a lot in part two. Okay. With it being so close, there's some, um, I guess, some influence coming out of Little Rock. Uh, intriguing. Now it's August twenty third, nineteen eighty seven, and the boys got back to Don's house around twelve fifteen a.m. The two of them hung out for a bit, and then at 1230, they asked Curtis if they could go out spotlighting. Spotlighting is when you go out at night to flash deer with a bright light to get them to freeze so you can easily shoot. It's super illegal, and deer weren't even in season, but Curtis was like, whatever, just be careful, which is super irresponsible, but Don and Kevin were both experienced in hunting, and they had been out spotlighting before, so this wasn't a new thing. This would have been 1230 a.m. when the boys left Curtis Henry's house to go out spotlighting.
2: We should try spotlighting in the studio in the dark. <laughs> Just flash Mike with a flashlight and <laughs> kick him in the nuts real quick. be awesome.
1: My uh, dad said when they were, when he was younger, he used to work at a grocery store. And at night they would turn all the lights off and play tag by throwing mousetraps at each other. <laughs>
2: that, that sounds fun. Yeah. I would I would or they like, go to
1: like, that. They would go in a back room and turn the lights off like a like a stock room and just throw a frisbee like <laughs> real hard. <laughs>
2: Break your nose. Yeah.
1: I'd just be I'd go to the ground and just cover up. <laughs> that doesn't end well. I would do the mouse trap thing, but not a frisbee to the face.
2: Yeah, I would be walking around like with my hands in right. front of my face. Yeah. Is it common to hunt at night like that in the dark? It's kind of odd. Like are you rifle hunting where someone
0: could just be out for a midnight walk and well, that's why it's only part. Why it's illegal. <laughs> I mean, Jesus, that's crazy. I knew about this from my time living in Southern well, of Ohio. Of course
1: you did. I was going to say, it seems like it'd be something to be pretty popular where there's not much else to do. Yeah. Like when you said, would you hang out in the Wendy's parking lot? Like, mm-hmm. what are you supposed to do when Wendy's closes?
2: Like, I, I guess I don't have a problem with the, in theory, the practice itself. But I think like the opportunity for collateral damage with another person just in the area seems high. I don't know. It seems horribly unsafe shooting in the dark like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's I'm a big issue. A, of,
1: a lights, you know, because you're, you're doing the spotlight gimmick.
0: So especially if you're shooting rifles that go a long distance. Right. I think it's half danger for other people, half not humane, I guess, for the animal. Like it makes them sitting, like it really makes a deer freeze in its tracks. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's so, the whole point. Sure. Yeah. So it's not really fair, I guess. There's no skill in spotlight. Look, if
2: we want deer hunting to be fair, we should give rifles to the deer. Yeah. I am all about like
1: most dangerous game style. Stuff, <laughs> like. if you're gonna be a hunter, which is fine, i have nothing against hunting, but Mm-mm. let's up the stakes. How about you're hunted too? <laughs> Kill or be killed.
2: <laughs> you really want that deer meat so bad? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I would watch that show.
0: I that would watch be that intense too.
1: TV.
2: <laughs>
0: At 4 a.m. on August 23rd, conductor Jerry Tomlin was operating a freight train that was a little over a mile long. Jerry had two very experienced crew members that night, so he was doing some paperwork, because up until this point, it was smooth sailing, and he trusted his crew. While Jerry was working on his paperwork, crew member Stephen Scher rushed in to tell Jerry that there was a dark object on the tracks. Anything on the train tracks is obviously an issue, but according to Jerry's statements, sometimes you'll hit a dog or a deer and you can't stop the train for that. You need to assess the situation because it's really hard to emergency stop a train.
2: So those cow pusher things at the front, right? Mm-hmm. Push them right
0: off. Yep. Jerry was shining the train's brights at the dark spot when he got a reflection of light back. At that point, he realized that this dark spot was two young men lying on the tracks and the reflection he got back was his brights reflecting off of a rifle. Jerry pulled the emergency brake and started to blow the whistle over and over again. There was a very slim chance that the train could stop before it hit these two young guys, but more than likely, it wasn't going to stop. So blowing the whistle to get them to move was really the only option. As the train got about 100 feet away, Jerry and the crew could see that the boys were laying completely still, arms at their sides, laid perfectly across the tracks. Like we said, they could see a rifle laying next to one of the boys reflecting off the brights, but they could also see a green tarp that was covering them from the waist down.
2: I'm not questioning these eyewitness accounts, but it seems very difficult to make out these details so far away, moving so fast at night. Doesn't it?
1: A hundred feet away is not that far.
2: But you're coming. Like how fast was this train going? You're coming in. I don't know how fast. Trains are traffic. moving um, fast. I mean,
1: right? I, I know like. On a highway, you can outrun them, right? So maybe they're going 50, 55? That's what I was
0: going to say. I believe the report said uh, 55.
2: Okay. I'm not questioning. I'm just, it seems moving that fast. and I All think, of a sudden looking. It, not, there's a lot of details in, in this uh, eyewitness account. that But if you're also trained like this, you're always looking
1: out for this type of stuff. Yeah. He's got supposed. more of that skill set to be able to kind of see things maybe. out there. It is a lot to see. I the, certainly wouldn't be able to do it. The yeah. train's
0: also slowing down because in a second here, Jerry Tomlin's going to pull that emergency brake. So it's slowing down. It's just there's no way to get it to stop in time. Yeah, I guess in a two, three second span, you could kind of take all that in, everything. Yeah, you're, not
1: a move, you're not seeing them move. You're not seeing them
2: try to get out of the way. Yeah.
1: All right. You're seeing a green tarp. I'll allow it. <laughs>
0: So as there was nothing to do, uh, the train ran over the two boys. Once the train finally stopped, Jerry notified the police as well as the train that was coming from the opposite direction. He told that train that they hit these boys and there was for sure going to be a scene that the police were going to have to process, so they needed to stop before they hit that stretch of tracks. After Jerry made those calls, he and other crew members got out with flashlights to investigate. 35 cars back, they found the first remains which were small pieces like fingers, and then they found the torso and head of one of the boys. Jerry and the crew all stated that aside from the shock of the whole incident, they were stunned at the lack of blood and the color of the blood. All three men said that the blood was a dark purplish color and there wasn't much of it. In later statements, Jerry pointed out hitting a cow or another large animal like that and that the blood is always bright red. That has to do with the
2: oxygen level in the blood, right? I tried to research that, but I got queasy reading about it and I had to yeah. stop. <laughs> <laughs> I can't look into stuff like that. <laughs> I just think we, we just watched the movie X not too long ago and we did a, you know, a Patreon show about it. Patreon.com slash Necronom
1: Pod, $10 tier. Hear us talk all about X and Kid Cuddy and his cock. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's the one. But in the early scenes of that movie, there was a scene where a cow had gotten hit by a semi, mm-hmm. and it was just you know complete annihilation all over in bright red blood. That's how I, yeah, like how I would initially picture. Did that a scene bother scene like you? This, it made me want beef jerky. No. Not gonna lie, <laughs> it did not bother me. No, <laughs> but I realized it going. was not real. So, although it might have been, they might have used a real cow for that. It sure looked real. I
1: mean, do you want that though? Like a. Listen, I was just listening to Art Bell, and they were recapping the poltergeist and how he used real bones and all the curses that caused. you want? Oh, that's eat, right. They do did. you want to use uh, – available on Cursed Movies at patreon.com slash Necronomipod bonus show. <laughs> we discuss all the cursed <laughs> movies. But if you use a real cow, I don't think you want that kind of potential karma
2: coming over you, right? Is there karma?
0: I guess it depends on who you talk to. Cows are sacred in some areas of the world.
2: You know, I often think about that, just the one McDonald's in town, how much – beef they have there and then multiply that by like, the amount of cows we must slaughter in this country every day. It's it's I, mean, I It's uh, astounding. I'm number. good for probably at least three of those cows a day <laughs> with all the double quarter pounders <laughs> of cheese I'm eating. I don't really eat much meat anymore. I was just thinking about that one day. Millions. It's got to be millions and millions of heads of cattle
1: every day. Are you trying to convert us here or something, pal? No. I just... <laughs> I will have you know I watched the movie Super Size Me and I have never craved McDonald's more in my (laughs)
2: life.
1: They have the reverse effect
0: on me. (laughs) The train spotted the boys at 4 a.m. Police arrived at 4.40 a.m., which were from the Saline County Sheriff's Department, not the state police. The officers on scene were Deputy Talent, Deputy Elmendorf, and Lieutenant Richmond, with the sheriff being James Steed in communication with them. State Trooper Wayne Lanehart also arrived on scene, but stayed back because it wasn't his jurisdiction and the Sheriff's Department did not want his help. He showed up uh, like he just heard it over the radio and happened to be by and he's like, there all right. Help out. Yeah. And they told him to fuck himself. Sounds about right.
2: Do you know the exact positions of these bodies? Like was the he- with their neck
0: resting on one of the tracks Were they. Yeah. So their neck was they were laying their head was to the west. Mm hmm. And yeah, just straight across the <laughs> like track feet. So feet would exceed feet would be hanging off the other mm-hmm. side of the track. So yeah. in
2: theory, their ankles should have got caught and their neck. Should have got caught.
0: Yeah. Okay. Jerry Tomlin and his crew told the officers from the sheriff's department what had happened, showed them the body parts they found, and Jerry led them to the green tarp that the boys were covered with. Jerry and his crew members were adamant that the boys never moved an inch, even when the train was feet away from them. Like something was definitely wrong with this whole situation.
2: God, that has to be maddening because they're trying to slow down. They're probably almost closer to a complete stop. As mm-hmm. they're about to, end? just nothing you can do.
0: Yeah. You know, the description in the book, the boys on the tracks from Jerry Tomlin. It's, oh, it's, it's scary. Awful, yeah, yeah. They're sitting there freaking out. Him and his crew, like... I'm sure. There's nothing you can do. Yeah, he said you could just feel... You could feel the the train hit their bodies, kind of hear it, and... That's awful. Yeah, there was just nothing to do about it. Pretty quick into this investigation, things got weird. After Jerry and his crew told the officers what had happened, they overheard the officers say that they were just going to treat this like a traffic accident. State Trooper Lanehart... It was like, hey, you know, we should keep uh, keep everything open because this doesn't sound like a regular traffic accident. And he was pretty much told to shut up. State Trooper Lane Hart's concerns were backed up by the EMTs. When the EMTs arrived, they too noticed that the blood at the scene was dark purple and it should have been bright red or maybe just a little darker red at this point. But it still should have been red. They also noted that more complete parts of the remains, quote, looked like mannequins. However, the sheriff's department said, we don't care. This is being treated as a traffic accident.
2: Do we know how many, quote, complete parts there were? End quote. I guess I just associate being hit by a train as your body exploding. But I guess that's not really what happens when you get run over versus getting especially
1: if it was slow right too yeah. right if these
2: guys slow down
1: to 30 some miles an hour yeah. it just kind of goes over you
2: like that classic video of someone jumping out into a train and their body just explodes have you guys ever seen that from way back no
0: eh. i guess this but is yeah. not that
2: scenario is no because run over
0: how they were laying like how you asked um the way that they were laying allowed for their torso to like a lot of injuries to it but it went under the train, right? Most of it, yeah. Those parts were still fairly intact, yeah. And that makes sense. And like there was, you know, like a calf, and we'll talk about a foot later on. All right. Gruesome, probably not the best scene,
2: and it's probably not something that, you know the train personnel are used to seeing. Dead bodies. I don't uh-huh. think you often run over people like that. They I
1: mean, t- the animals
0: know. more, but it's more like you yeah. know hitting a deer or what yeah. you know whatever. The investigation continued to get more bizarre. First, that train coming from the opposite direction that Jerry Tomlin called to stop was given the go-ahead by the officers to proceed before any evidence was collected. So this other train just drove over everything. Crazy. Next, the officers started to act like they didn't believe Jerry and his crew about what they had seen. Regarding the rifle Jerry saw laying next to the boys, the officers kept calling it an alleged gun. Like... So where is this so-called gun that you saw? Because we don't see it. So-called. Yeah. Being very aggressive with that whole thing. Like, right. Where look, show me where this gun is kind of thing. Then the craziest shit that I've ever heard in, in police doing stuff with these kind of botched investigations, the officers told Jerry Tomlin, you didn't see a green tarp. It was just an optical illusion. And Jerry Tomlin's like, I just walked you up to this 20 minutes ago and showed you guys, like pointed it out and the officers just said yeah that wasn't covering the boys That's was just an op- optical illusion so we seen
2: the tarp was on them still post collision let's see no crazy. it was it was ripped off but it was somewhere else they're pointing it out yeah. it wasn't actually the on, on the And the cops are just saying, you
1: see... well the mm-hmm. conductor is saying it was on the bodies when when it, they hit but not after is and what then i after, was yeah, the cops are like oh no you didn't see that on their bodies
0: yeah afterwards it got you know got thrown off ran over mm-hmm. by the train and thrown off and that was part of the evidence that jerry tomlin and his crew found yeah just laying by I just wasn't itself sure if it was yeah. still
2: on the whatever remained of the corpses
0: but he pointed it out mm-hmm. to the officers like we found this tarp this yeah, was what yeah. this was laying on them when we hit but no that mm-hmm. the officer no that was an optical illusion let
2: me preface this by saying with all due respect <laughs> 'Cause I get hate from people sometimes, you know, being critical of law enforcement, but I, I would just say think about your own profession. Aren't there some people who are terrible and incompetent and don't you think they should be called out on it because it reflects poorly on your profession? I don't think this is any different. I mean, there's no national minimum standards and training for law enforcement. So the level of competence and of police in some places. Is not going to be great. I mean, that's not slamming the police or anything, but it's going to vary, and you're not going to find well-trained, competent police in, in all these jurisdictions, So see so in a, a, a small town of 2,900, right? I will say that when it comes to the stories
1: we have covered, I don't think we have ever been unfair to police. We give them props when they do a good investigation. And that's
2: what I'm trying and to point out. When
1: yeah. they don't, we call them out on it, and it's as simple as that. Have there been, you know, side jokes made? Maybe, but I don't think it was specific to an actual investigation or any yeah. specific department or agency. We're just telling the story like it is and giving our thoughts on it. I don't know how anyone can hear this story as it's being told thus far and think, oh, the cops got it right. This is how it's done. Like, we don't know that this can the train conductor has an agenda to lie and make this stuff up. So why would you not take the witness's statement on
0: this? Well, this is the first hint, this green tarp thing is the first hint in this story Mm -hmm. that this is an incompetence. This is purposefully covering something up.
2: Well, those are two different things, but I guess we'll see. (laughs) I just want to point that out. So don't, don't send me messages about how I hate law enforcement. That's not what I'm saying.
0: At 5 a.m. Curtis Henry woke up and quickly found out that Don and Kevin didn't come home from spotlighting. Curtis knew where Don went to hunt, which was by the train tracks. So Curtis went driving around on dirt roads in that area looking for the boys when he came upon a deputy. Curtis asked the deputy if he had seen two teenage boys in the area, to which the deputy said no, even though he knew damn well that there had been two boys hit on the train tracks. Curtis drove around a bit more and then decided to go home and call Linda Ives to see if the boys were over there. Linda wasn't thrilled with Curtis Henry to start because of that whole argument incident. And the boys uh, left last time Kevin stayed over there. But now she's really like, what the fuck? You let them go out and illegally hunt in the middle of the night. And Curtis told her not to worry. And that Don knew that area like the back of his hand and they would be home soon. About two or three hours later. So this would be around noon. Curtis called Linda back and he was in a panic. He said, quote, get over here quick. They've been shot and tied to the railroad tracks, and they've been run over by the train.
2: Shocking statement.
0: Yeah, pretty crazy to hear.
2: Don't, you don't want to hear that over the phone. No, goes or from, in person, but, you know. Goes from, oh, though
0: my son knows this area. He'll be home any minute. To Oh, they got run over by a train. They're dead. Linda was in complete shock. like She didn't know what to make of what Curtis had just told her. Her husband, Larry, was also a train conductor, and he was out on a job. So Linda called her neighbors to come over to watch her daughter, Kevin's sister, while she figured out what was going on. When Linda got to the Henry house, the first thing she saw in the driveway was Kevin's 1987 Camaro. So she thought to herself that Curtis was wrong, didn't know what he was talking about. However, when Linda got out of her car, Deputy Talent walked out of the house to meet her.
2: I had a 77 Camaro. Yeah. That's all. I wasn't alive then. Was it cool? <laughs> that was a sweet car. It had no floorboards in it. So oh, remember we one talk of, about yeah. shooting bottle rockets out yeah. of the <laughs> bottom? <That was>
0: awesome.
1: <laughs> Driving around listening to Kiss's Love Gun 8-track uh, at oh, that you time. you know
2: it. Did not have an 8-track. <laughs> <laughs>
1: before 8-tracks, right? What it? Just a regular radio, I guess? No. Nah. A CD player. Aftermarket. So this was like more like 90s you had it then.
2: Well, I wasn't driving in the 70s, yeah, dude. Come <laughs> on, man. You could have been. What are you talking about? The 80s at least. <laughs> oh, the 80s, yeah. That's
1: when I just assumed it was that. Eight years later. Eight-ish. I'm just saying, but there wasn't CDs in 88 for
2: whatever your first car there was.
1: was. Is there CDs on? I think so.
2: Maybe I—that mis- I, I honestly maybe don't not. Know. Maybe I'm misremembering. I was tapes, thinking that was cassettes. Maybe, maybe it maybe was cassettes. cassettes at that yeah, time. You're probably right. Now I'm fucking remember.
0: So deputy talent tells Linda that the two boys were hit by a train last night, but Curtis was wrong. They were not tied up or shot or anything like that. Where did he get that from? It's not clear where he really. Got- yeah, this is a,
2: the first very strange part of this story that I. Yeah, I'm being, uh, I don't know. Hard to explain.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure. Mm.
2: Like, that's very specific. Yeah. And someone told him that.
0: Or he overheard something. Mm. Or did
2: she recall this later and was embellishing?
0: That could be possible, too. Yeah. Talent told her that they hadn't identified the boys yet, but they were in the process of matching dental records. What led the sheriff's department to the Henry House was a camo baseball hat that had a little rock electric logo on it and henry written inside curtis henry was high up in the little rock electric company and don always wore that hat deputy talent asked linda for a description of what kevin was wearing that night and it matched what was found at the scene
2: i think it's mandatory for every male over 16 to wear a camel hat in arkansas right i think you get arrested if you don't wear one
0: hey i Sounds like camera right. hats. skull ring <laughs> in your uh, back
2: jeans pocket
1: <laughs> cowboy boots lip puffed out three inches from that big dip in your mouth cut off shirt oh yeah we got them pegged
2: i used to chew back in high school did you for a little bit yeah me too
1: doesn't that make that uh, i think i only tried it maybe once i didn't do it consistently i didn't like it dip or chew dip i did dip i don't think i did chew I preferred smoking if I was going to do any of that. But, like, doesn't it, like, the dip, like, it just, like,
2: raws, like, the, the front of your lip, right? Yeah, it's it just awesome. Makes... <laughs> is that cool? Like, that... I don't know. <laughs> It's disgusting. I don't even yeah. know why I did. It was, like, for a couple of weeks. I'm like, yeah, what am I doing? And you here?
1: just I have to watch these people
2: spit. And I'm like, that's not, that's disgusting.
1: Bing, bing, bing. Yeah. Like, is it fun for people to spit? Like, it becomes an addictive habit, I'm sure. But, like, do they enjoy just spitting into cups all day? No, because you swallow it by accident every once in a while. Yeah. They're like, well, a real man doesn't spit it at all. It just swallows it. That's what <laughs> I have been told. Have it on good That's authority good point, Mike. that
0: real men just kind of swallow and spit one time. Terry Francona takes chew and bubble gum mixed together and just chews on it. Mm. So he has to be swallowing a good bit. That's a man's man right there. Just, just like, mixing the two together. The inside
1: of his mouth is just leather at this point. <laughs> That's all it is. He hasn't tasted anything in 30 years. <laughs> he goes to the dentist. He's like, nope, no Nova King. Don't need it. Everything's dead.
0: When Monday morning rolled around, dental records confirmed that the bodies were Kevin Ives and Don Henry. And at that point, autopsies needed to be done. Before we get into that, I wanted to cover the scene at the tracks a bit more. By Monday morning, word had spread around town and the news was reporting on the boys being hit by the train. People in town being nosy, as well as one of Curtis Henry's good friends, went to the scene to check it out. I mean, It's such a small town. Everyone knows everyone there. So, of course. Yeah. And the police never roped off the area. So it was like a free-for-all. Why would you rope off the area? (laughs) Well, they didn't have rope in the budget, Dave. What do you want them to do? Curtis Henry asked his friend to go down there because he couldn't stomach going there himself, but he wanted to know if anything was left behind. Turned out, good thing Curtis Henry didn't go himself because his friend found a severed foot belonging to one of the boys that was just laying by the tracks, completely missed by the sheriff's department. How is that even possible? Missed? Come on. Well... If they were covering something up, you'd probably want to get rid of... I don't not know. Not just leave a foot. they say, anything.
2: oh, it was the train. There's evidence. The train exploded the body. See, and this is where the incompetence part comes in, right? I mean,
1: either way, why is that sitting there?
0: Definitely okay. shouldn't have been, yeah.
2: Even if you were What's, trying to cover it up, then you're incompetent at that, right? right. Like, just any which way, it should not be there. <laughs> yeah. If you don't want it there, fucking kick it into the woods or something, <laughs>
1: like...
0: Friends of the Ives family also found a very large piece of cardboard that had a massive stain on it that sure looked like blood. If we remember, the officers wouldn't believe Jerry Tomlin about there being a gun at the scene. A group of people found multiple pieces of a shattered twenty two rifle that was the same type that was owned by Don Henry. When Don Henry's clothing was given back to his family that morning, his stepmother Marvell found a dime bag of weed in his pocket.
2: I think we remember the dime bag comment for later.
0: Mm-hmm. Be talking about this again, but just this is like a complete not giving a fuck at all.
2: No, absolutely. You not. You leave a
0: severed foot. You're giving clothing back with something that the police would be interested in. If they found the dime bag, right. there would they would definitely maybe put some pieces in There's order. There's less than an
2: investigation here. This is yeah. tells me they want this all cleaned up and done and
0: to go away yeah. immediately. And to add insult to injury to the Ives and Henry families, the Sheriff's Department was now working in an angle that this was a potential double suicide. The Sheriff's Department interviewed multiple friends of Don and Kevin, and all they asked was were the boys suicidal and how much weed did they smoke? And we're talking about a small town in Arkansas. So drug use marijuana use whatever is not. Look highly upon, or you know, you really look down,
2: even though everyone's
0: doing it, yeah, yeah. But Linda Ives is like, it's like they're making our kids out to look like these huge, like druggies, yeah, like these suicidal druggies, it's like I mean, every
2: other teenager in this country weren't doing the same thing. It's yeah. like an episode of Reefer Madness here.
1: Now, a word from our sponsor, Better Help. You ever have one of those days where you couldn't wait to get to sleep at night, but as soon as you put your head down, All your problems come racing back into your mind, keeping you up, tossing and turning all night? Yeah, it happens to a lot of us. It seems we all tend to focus more on our problems instead of focusing on solutions to these problems. How do you think your life could change if you had a different mindset on problems, focusing more on solving them as opposed to stressing about them day in and day out? It can be tough to train your brain to stay in problem-solving mode, especially when faced with challenges in life. But when you can learn to find your own solutions, there's no better feeling. Working with a therapist can help you become a better problem solver, making it easier to accomplish your goals, no matter how big or small they are. Your mental health should be taken seriously. Nothing can cripple your day or stunt your motivation more than feeling depressed, anxious, or sad. We all have a lot of problems to deal with in our daily lives, be it the struggles of work, raising a family, or even paying bills. Focusing more on problem solving can help improve your mental health. And for that, BetterHelp is here for us. If you've been on the fence about trying therapy, BetterHelp is a great option for you. It's convenient, affordable, and entirely online. After filling out just a brief survey, you'll get matched with a therapist, and you'll be able to switch therapists anytime you want. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash today to get 10% off your first month.
0: Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price, line. A week after funerals were held for Kevin and Don, the chief medical examiner of Arkansas, Dr. Fami Malik finished up his report. Fami Malik was an Egyptian immigrant who completed his medical training in Cairo, Egypt before moving to the US. He was hired as chief medical examiner by then governor of Arkansas, Bill Clinton, in 1979. We'll get to more of Dr. Fami Malik's background and previous works later in the series, or actually later in this episode. But for now, the Ives and Henry family had to sit down for a scheduled meeting to hear Dr. Malik's findings.
2: Uh, Before we go any further, I'd like to make a statement here. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not hire that doctor, Dr. Malik. I never told anyone a lie. Not a single time. Never in your life, no lies? Not a single time.
1: <laughs> this is the first time uh, Mr. President has been in our studio as a heel, I think, <laughs> in my mind at least. <laughs> I'm not sure he's welcome here for the next few weeks. <laughs> Maybe at the end we'll have him give his official final statement. Uh, I got lots
2: of thoughts on this, Mike. I'm sure <laughs> he will express regret and remorse for his actions. You know it, baby. (laughs) Let's go get some Big Macs.
1: Now we're talking. All right. You're a baby again. (laughs) You're back to baby face in my mind.
0: When the Ives and Henry family arrived, they were met by deputies from the sheriff's department that we already talked about. And those deputies were going to be sitting in on the meeting. Larry Ives had that piece of cardboard with the big stain on it. And he turned it over to the officers at this meeting so that it could be handed off to a state testing facility spoiler alert that piece of cardboard was never documented and when asked about later the sheriff's department said that it was never given to them
2: there's some really heavy-handed stuff going on here already yeah showing up well we're gonna sit in this meeting with you and oversee it and all like no that's not necessary when do you ever see that happening
1: yeah, I thought the same thing. Like what you know, trying to intimidate. What do yeah. you mean? Like, why do you hear right. this is nothing to do like with Like how many
0: deputies? Now. Like two or three deputies
2: in the room? Is that necessary?
0: Well, and this isn't the only time. Um, you know, Linda Ives is gonna try to get the EMTs, you know, she wants to hear their report mm-hmm. um, and sit down and have a meeting with the EMTs. And deputies sat in for that as well. Mm.
2: I got to tell you, being detained by Southern Sheriff's Department deputies is on my list of things to do right after being castrated. That's (laughs) not something I ever Mm -hmm. wanted to do, right? There's no holds barred down there. (laughs) No rules. Almost happened to me one time. Yeah?
1: Another story for another day. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, don't even remember what Southern state I was in. Mm. So we were traveling, but it was the South any hoodles <laughs>
0: <laughs> once they were inside the ives and henry families were immediately thrown off by fami malik before they were allowed to sit down malik needed to take a polaroid picture of each person and have them sign a form that they were in attendance
2: what the fuck is that
0: it's fucking weird have you ever
2: heard of such a thing
0: no why what are you gonna do with this photo of right. me
2: it's just intimidation stuff
0: Once they sat down, Malik passed around copies of his report that said at 425 AM on August 23rd, 1987, Kevin and Don were, quote, unconscious in a deep sleep on the railroad tracks under the psychedelic influence of THC, and that resulted in them being accidentally ran over by the train. (laughs) Psychedelic.
2: You know how much THC is in pot these days? Like, it's so much. Mm -hmm. I looked at (laughs) 42. THCs. But even like medical marijuana high, you can get up to like 25, 26% THC. Mm-hmm. Pot in the 80s, I looked at it averaged like 4%. Like the weed was just a lot less. A lot less. Yeah.
1: And yet people still listen to Pink Floyd back then. I don't get it. <laughs>
2: the top three bands in the history of music, Mike. I'm not sure what you're trying to suggest. <laughs> All right,
0: The Ives and Henry's wanted clarification because they had never heard of weed making someone pass out to the point that a train would run them over without <laughs> I've them, never heard of that either. So. <laughs> like without them making a single movement in the lead up to that train hitting them. One of the state police officers that uh, wasn't buying this whole story, it wasn't officer Lanehart from the beginning, but just w- one of the state uh, officers tested it out and he laid on the tracks to when with a train coming to see how long he could actually stay there without moving. Did he it, smoke a bunch of joints? No, he did oh, not. Okay. But he said it was absolutely fucking terrifying. I'm
2: sure it was. In the
0: vibration for on, on your body. Oh, yeah. yeah. No way that somebody wouldn't at least move a little bit.
1: Well, you show some kind of life,
0: yeah. right? Like,
2: you're highly uh, under the influence of weed many times, Ian. Do you think mm-hmm. you could, we would ever lay down on the railroad
0: tracks? No, I wouldn't.
2: Like, that's crazy. Maybe during the Catherine Night episode.
0: That was <laughs> alcohol, though. That's
2: true. You st- we probably could have laid you on anything at that point. You wouldn't have been moving. <laughs> like who smokes joints and lays down on a railroad tracks, like
0: right it, next to each so other? It's just a
2: weird <laughs> thing that just that doesn't happen. No well, one
0: would do that. And that's why they were really, you know, Fami Malick's thing says that they, you know, fell asleep or they were in a deep sleep, but they were still really actively pushing this whole double suicide thing. That they did that on purpose. Mm-hmm. Did this.
1: Was there any, any
2: indication I'll, of suicide? With that's these what I kids? was going to ask. Sorry. Yeah. Was
1: there any part of that?
0: No. Just two guys, you know, two young guys having fun. Seems unlikely. Yeah. Dr. Malik acted really offended that the parents of these boys would question him like, how dare you ask me questions? This is what I found. Just accept it. Dives and Henry's like, no, we're not going to shut up. You need to explain some of this. And at that point, Malik drew a line on a dry erase board. At the bottom, he drew a five. And at the top of the line, he drew a 100. Malik then pointed at the top, which was the 100, and said, this is how much THC that was in their bodies. And the parents came back with, like, what, what is that measurement? What, you know, like, what kind of measurement is that? And Malik said that it was units.
2: Mike, 100 units of weed. <laughs> Can you imagine being under the influence of 100 units of a weed?
1: I'd be laying on train tracks probably.
2: I mean, that's what just, does that even mean? That's
1: the most ever. That's an overdose of weed. That's how you hear of all these weed people who've overdosed Is that on what weed. Happens? It's a hundred units, I think. One hundred mm-hmm. units, that's the top. And that's why there's so many weed deaths in this country every year. Because <laughs> people we need to we I've been saying it for years. We need to cap it at 80. Anything nope. over that's illegal. No more than 80 units of weed. In your system at a time. Oh okay. right. That's that's my thought, but no one ever listens to me, and that's why we have so many weed
2: casualties per mm-hmm. year. You even started a change.org petition, right? I think I signed it. No more than 80 units of weed. In your system at a time, sure. It's fair. It's enough.
1: Do you really need 81 units of weed in your system? <laughs> no, 80 fine. You're not going to tell a difference. No. And if you get to 100, then what? You're laying on train tracks, comatose.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, some of these doctors think they're the fucking Wizard of Oz or something. Uh, don't question what's behind the curtain here. Yeah. Like,
0: You're public servants, dude. Fuck you. When the parents weren't buying this explanation from Dr. Malik, he got really irritated and pulled out a large envelope and said, these are the autopsy photos. Everything you need to know is in here. Linda Ives specifically was like, I don't understand how looking at our mangled children would answer any questions about toxicology and how much weed the boys had smoked. And Malik responded by pushing more with the pictures, like daring the parents to look at them. Shit started to really hit a breaking point, and that's when Deputy Elmendorf grabbed the envelope off of Malik and told him to stop. Elmendorf then leaned over to Linda Ives and whispered 20 joints. When they left the meeting, Linda went up to Deputy Elmendorf and asked him what he meant by 20 joints, and he said that Malik had told the sheriff's department that the boys would have had to smoke 20 joints to get that high amount of THC in their bodies. So 20 joints, they're sharing them. So based on
1: my conversion, 10 joints to a person is a hundred units of weed.
0: Yeah.
2: So they had this little dime bag in their pocket. Yes, yeah, somehow they
0: yeah. smoked
2: 20 joints also,
0: <laughs> right? It's a really good deal. Uh huh. Maybe
2: they by
1: dime bag it meant 10 joints, and they each had a dime bag.
2: A dime bag does not mean 10 joints. No.
1: <laughs> we're in a, we're in a, 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 a system here. We're, we're talking about units of weed in them. So I don't think we can just t- define what they mean by dime bags.
0: Oh. You're going to get two or three out of a dime bag.
2: I mean, a dime bag has different meanings for different <laughs> people. Different I was kidding. Like, where, like, I understand. I, I'm, I was. We know you were, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. I'm the biggest druggie here.
0: <laughs> My idea of a dime bag is going to get you like. Three joints, probably.
2: That's like, I mean, it originated with a $10 bag. Yeah. And there's not more than, what, two grams in a dime bag, if that. So, yeah, two, three little joints. Have you ever just had a little sandwich bag full of dimes and whack someone with it? <laughs>
1: no, I have. Because that is a fun dime bag. <laughs> have you done this? It's in my fantasies, yes. Oh, like okay. that's, that's the way I want to beat the fuck out of someone. <laughs> Either polywop them or dime bag them because that'd be fun. Like you hear about like the bars of soap in the sock in prison. Yeah. I want to dime bag somebody. That'd be
2: all right. You should try it sometime. <laughs> Just walk up to someone, dime bag them. That's where we get a dime bag discussion with Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Hitting people with dimes in a bag. Oh, that's more fun to me. Than talking about <laughs> trying to break down
1: how many <laughs> units we're going
2: to lie about putting in these kids. So this explanation
0: is fucking ridiculous, right? Yeah hundred units of THC. Okay. The Ives and Henry's left that meeting stunned and not accepting Dr. Malik's ruling that the deaths were accidental. They wanted a second opinion and they were referred to Dr. JT Francisco out of Memphis, Tennessee. The parents hired Dr. Francisco based on those recommendations and he wasn't cheap. He charged them $200 an hour. He told the parents that he would be able to test both of the boys blood and the urine of Kevin. He couldn't test Don's because Don's bladder was just destroyed by the train. His parents seem to be pretty well off, right? Yeah. Curtis Henry, like I said before, he was like a high up at the electric
1: company. And which one I call was a train conductor, right? The other guy's dad. That's a good paying job.
0: Yeah. And you know, the crazy thing about Larry Ives is that the way the schedule worked out at the time he was out of town, but he very well could have been driving that train.
2: Oh, man. Can you imagine? Yeah. That's horrible.
0: Like, a dad, well, there would be a solid chance. Wow. thanks could for have. that,
2: pal. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Wow.
1: You took that, the story from negative five fun to negative 10
2: fun. That's like the stories you hear about the fireman or, or an ambulance person that, you know, gets called in accidents, their own kid, but that would be even worse. Dude. I loathe this conversation. Let's move on. This is <laughs>
1: awful.
0: This process took some time, but when they got the results back, the families were disappointed to hear that Dr. Francisco agreed with Dr. Malik. The parents pushed back, like, this makes no sense. You said that you were going to test blood to make sure, to make 100% sure. And eventually they found out that Dr. Francisco only tested Kevin's urine, no blood at all. Dr. Francisco said that he agreed with Dr. Malik based on inference, that Malik's lab met state standards, so there was no need to test the blood. Dr. Francisco's lab meets state standards, even though he isn't in the same state. And Dr. Malik's lab supposedly meets state standards, so the test would have turned out the same, according to uh, inference. What? <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's what you get for 200 bucks an hour, huh?
0: Okay. It's almost like someone called... Dr. Francisco maybe told him to stop what he was doing. Mm. Talk about that maybe next week. interference?
1: Interesting. Look, for half that price, I'll come to your house, pay my own travel and and food. I'll bang your wife, and I'll hit you with a dime bag. (laughs) My dime bag. (laughs) And I'll leave you with stained sheets. Dime bag. And you'll test. Both my cum and your blood (laughs) from the dime bag strikes to your head. (laughs) (laughs) Then you'll test the sheets afterwards, right? If they want, just, oh. you know, to see how, how fertile I was and what I could have put in your wife. <laughs> I'm going to talk about emasculating a man. Whew, they don't even know that.
0: In February of 1988, the case was flat out cold. The community believed something fishy was going on, but as far as law enforcement was concerned, it was over and done with. So Linda Ives organized a press conference with the local media and some outside news organizations. And she roasted the sheriff's department and Dr. Malik. She held nothing back. Good for her. Then the following day, the families were contacted by district deputy prosecuting attorney, Richard Garrett, who said that up until that press conference, he thought everyone was on the same page with the ruling of accidental death. He's
1: like, oh, wait, you guys didn't accept that?
0: Richard Garrett said that he was going to hold a prosecutor's hearing, which would be a hearing to decide if the case needed to be reopened. And the main thing they wanted was a, another autopsy done by, an, you know, to, that was the goal for this is yeah, another autopsy. That makes sense. Garrett introduced the families to a guy named Dan Harmon. At this point in time, Dan Harmon was in private practice. He was brought into this case as a special prosecutor. Dan Harmon was going to be organizing a grand jury to look at the evidence, which was pretty much just needing to prove that Fami Malik was wrong about the cause of death. A judge granted allowance for Kevin and Don's bodies to be exhumed for another autopsy, and this one was going to be conducted by Dr. Joe Burton out of Atlanta. The first thing that Dr. Burton found was that Fami Malik was way off about the THC found in the boy's systems. They smoked more like two joints instead of 20, And his scale of five to 10 units meant absolutely nothing.
2: You don't say.
0: (laughs) The next thing of issue was the shirt that Don Henry was wearing that night. When Don's remains were found, he didn't have a shirt on. But what was left of his shirt was found nearby. The shirt was obviously like really torn up. But there were a couple tears that stood out to Dr. Burton that looked like they might not have been from the train. And there were injuries to Don's lower back because remember, they got they recovered his torso. And those injuries didn't look like the train would have caused them like they stood out from the other ones. So he took the shirt to a private forensic lab in Atlanta.
2: So in theory, if they're laying like that, the train should slice the top right around your neck, right around your ankle. I mean, I guess it was how they were laying on it, though, because it's not like train tracks are super wide.
1: It could have been lower back-ish, and your legs are still dangling over the other
2: side. But a good portion of your torso should have been unharmed, because it should have gone under the train, right? Is that the idea we're working with here? Yeah.
1: And I guess, do we know specifically, did the conductor ever give, like, how he saw them laying, or was that too buried, or he didn't even get into that, like, the, he didn't... like. Like was it like Dave initially said, where it was more like their necks laying on one side, neck and shoulders, and then their legs, feet hanging over the other? Yeah, is that how it was described? Yeah, or was it okay? So the torso, the lower back probably would be untouched by the train. It should be maybe just still laying Based there between the tracks, yeah. or maybe thrown aside of at some point, but untouched. But, I mean, I guess, but not it mangled. But if the if the if the train's going over you, it's not going to be a clean. It's just horrible to talk about, but like not a clean decapitation and cutting off your legs. The body's probably going to get caught up underneath and mangled a little bit and tossed and run over. That's my question.
2: I don't really know. I I think that depends on speed and and angles. Yeah, it's just
1: I could see that the torso could be pretty well damaged. I could understand that.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's everything was really damaged. here. You know, nothing was clean. Mm hmm. You know, but what stood out to Dr. Burton was that there were injuries on his lower back that looked different from everything else caused by the train. This part of Don's shirt was compared with other tears in his shirt under an extremely powerful microscope, and this microscope could tell if the shirt had been torn by the train or cut with something sharp. Dr. Burton concluded that those tears in the lower back of Don's shirt were different than the ones caused by the train. These lower back ones were made by something really sharp, like a knife. There was also different blood stains around these presumed knife tears, meaning that Don more than likely bled into this part of his shirt from whatever made that tear before being hit by the train. The next thing Dr. Burton found was that Kevin had an injury on his left cheek that didn't match any other wounds caused by the train, And nothing on the front of the train would have made this injury. They were like you brought up earlier, Dave. They have those cow catchers on the Uh front of them. They were expecting something along those lines on his face. Okay. Dr. Burton sent out pictures to another forensic expert, and it was determined that the injury on Kevin's cheek matched up with the butt of a rifle. Dr. Burton couldn't conclusively prove it, but the injury sure looked like. It was caused by the gun that Don and Kevin had on them that night while hunting. Last, the amount of congestion in the boy's lungs didn't make sense. When there's a sudden and traumatic death, there isn't a lot of buildup in a victim's lungs. The high amount of fluid in the boy's lungs led Dr. Burton to rule that Kevin and Don had been dead before being placed on the tracks or severely knocked unconscious.
2: That fluid's still in the lungs when you exuma? Um, or is he looking
1: at other like the the initial report?
2: Right.
0: Yeah, I don't know which one he would be looking at. Mm.
1: I assume maybe he was looking at the initial reports that, and then doing his own uh, look at the bodies. Mm. Yeah, and maybe he's seeing things. And what was the guy's name? F- F- uh, Fami Malik. Malik. i uh, looking at Malik's report and like, well, this guy didn't even mention all that fluid in their lungs. He's focused on units of weeds. Mm. <laughs> So a lot of things not adding up here. And that's just my—that's how I took it. I don't know what he did, but I, I got 71 weed units in me right now, <laughs> so I'm getting close to my legal limit. Can you imagine if
2: this guy had 71 units of weed <laughs> in him right now? What would be happening in here? I'd be slapping you with dime bags. <laughs> You'd be laying on the I, ground crying. I'm, the, I'm an aggressive
0: weeder. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a such thing as an aggressive weeder? I don't know. We'll find out when I do a weed. <laughs> no there's not i don't think so (laughs) (laughs) the deaths of kevin ives and don henry were changed from accidental to undetermined meaning that their case was now back open however the sheriff's department doubled down and held a press conference saying that they supported dr malik and his findings and even though a court changed the cause of death on paper it didn't change it in their minds on top of that arkansas state senator max howell came forward to say that he personally looked at Dr. Malik's record and he had nothing but the highest respect for Malik and trusted his findings. All of these details were reported on by local news outlets, which resulted in the community wondering, like, what the hell was Dr. Fami Malik doing and why was he getting so much support from powerful people? So reporters started to dig deeper into Malik's background. Through digging, it was found that in 1979, Fami Malik was working as an assistant medical examiner for the state of Arkansas. And when Bill Clinton hired Malik, Malik didn't meet the state standards to be a medical examiner.
2: Uh, Bob, my secretary hired him. <laughs> my, I was out of the country.
0: Furthermore, there was a committee that was supposed to look at applicants' credentials, but it turned out that this committee hadn't met since the early 1960s. And when members of that committee we still listed as being those members were approached by the media in the eighties. They were like, oh, we didn't even know that still existed. We the did
2: sixties. <laughs> That's how we got a podcast. We went to the podcast committee and we got approved. They're like, I didn't know we were still doing that. <laughs> well, we submitted the paperwork
1: we <laughs> So what do you stamped our approval? So you know we're on the fucking iTunes shirts.
2: <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're welcome, boys. Oops. That was me. I signed off
0: the media also found some other really wild autopsies done by malik and there, there's a bunch of them but the the most absurd one was a guy was found dead in his home and fami malik ruled that this guy's cause of death was an ulcer the family of this guy was outraged like how the fuck did he die from an ulcer he was decapitated <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's true this guy's head was found with an almost clean cut to his neck Malik defended his ruling, saying that the guy did, in fact, die from an ulcer. But the victim's dog, who was sitting alone with the victim for some time, chewed his neck until his head came off.
2: He must have chewed in a nice pattern to make a clean cut. (laughs)
0: Very sharp teeth. Sure. Uh, There's also someone, in, we'll talk about this person next week, or maybe on part three. I don't know. But that Malik rules as a suicide. But he was shot three times in the chest with a shotgun, but somehow he committed suicide. <laughs>
1: Real quick uh trigger finger. Got yeah. three of them off before he died.
0: Fami Malik is another one where points to cover up early on, because it's impossible to be that incompetent to yeah, where man. you say someone died from an ulcer, but they don't have a fucking head.
2: So was the guy for sale? It's it's gonna be interesting to look at this guy you tell us, Bill.
0: <laughs> uh, I didn't hire Mike. I don't even know the guy's name. When this part was reported on, the public was calling for Malik's resignation. Like, how does this guy still have a job? In response, Bill Clinton hired two out-of-state pathologists to review Malik's findings, in which he used his discretionary fund to cover uh, the $20,000 bill for that. Those two pathologists gave Malik the highest marks and suggested that he be given a raise. Bill Clinton and his board decided not to review Malik's files, not to really even look at the stuff that those two pathologists found. And instead, they sent a proposal to the legislator to give Malik a 41.5% raise, which was granted. And that's where we'll pick up on part two.
1: That's a nice raise. Not a single
2: sentence of this entire outline is positive. (laughs) That is crazy. Uh, let me see here, uh discretionary fund, hookers a hundred thousand, Big Macs eighty thousand, uh I got twenty K left for a fake review. <laughs> Let's get it done. It's not an awful budget. I'll give them that. It's not awful. It's kind of like the the office space. Remember office space where uh what Peter goes in to get interviewed by the consultant. He's like, oh, I'd say do about 15 minutes of real work every week. And they're <laughs> like, This guy's got management written all over him. Let's get this guy raised. <laughs> this is uh I never heard of this. Like, I didn't know anything about this story. It's I, crazy. I still don't up until this point,
0: but it it's uh it's wild. There's still a lot of twists. Part two is gonna be full of twists. Okay. Names we've brought up in this one are gonna come back and it's, it's crazy it's how only, many twists and turns there are.
2: Uh-huh. It's like two hours from West Memphis. Any of the same characters involved in this uh, chicanery here? Uh, yeah, Bill Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I know it's hard to give final thoughts
1: because we're in part one of probably a three-part series, but any other last thoughts on this episode thus far?
2: There's an awful lot of fuckery going on. <laughs> yeah. Clearly already. Clearly. Hashtag Fuckery. No doubt about that. And every time I hear the, I see the word, um, boys on the tracks, I hear Nicki Minaj saying bees in the trap. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why. So I hope half of you hear that all week too. <laughs> when boys I on track, b- boys on the track, but boys on the track
1: boys on the tracks to me sounds like the most stereotypical Bruce Springsteen album. Just yeah. sounds like that's probably his early '80s album when he first, like the first time I ever heard of Boys on the Tracks. Ian might have brought it up for something years ago, and I was like, "What is he talking about, Bruce Springsteen?" For <laughs> like, 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 it just sounds like Bruce Springsteen.
2: You hear Bruce, I hear Nicki Minaj.
1: One of them is good;
2: the other one is Bruce Springsteen. That is um, not true, Bruce
1: Springsteen at all. <laughs> Prince and Pink Floyd are the three most overrated artists of all time. I'm not saying they're all awful
2: but they're the most overrated artists of all time. Bruce Springsteen is probably overrated. I disagree with the other two. All right. Uh, I thought you were bagging on Nicki Minaj. I misheard you. I apologize. No, I was bagging on Bruce Springsteen. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's why I said... What did I say? I, I said one of them is... The most overrated artist of all time. Oh, I, I think I maybe I did say it wrong. Yeah. Did I <laughs> say like, what was the guy talking about? Yeah. No, Nicki Minaj is not overrated. <laughs> Bruce Springsteen. If I said it wrong, I apologize. My joke was meant to be that Bruce Springsteen is overrated. Although I don't like, love
2: Bruce. Springsteen. It's not a joke. I do love Pink Floyd, though. and Bruce
1: well, Springsteen I- is. I don't get it.
2: No, it's just eh. it's like it's. Eh.
1: It's almost like you, too. Like everyone acts like they're writing these revolutionary songs. Are you listening to them?
2: U2 is one of the most overrated bands. They're the top five. Top five. I put them top five. Sure. Led Zeppelin is too. Let's be honest. They stole a bunch of blues guys music and, you know, it's not that great. Perhaps. Yeah, I wouldn't argue. I'm
0: not a huge Led Zeppelin guy. U2 for sure. I would even move them up to the top three. Oh,
1: absolutely. So give me your, off the top of your head, top three most overrated artists. Oh boy. Here we go. We got to be talking about like mega stars, probably like Dave, you probably would say like Michael Jackson. I know you don't love him, but mine again, Prince, Bruce Springsteen, Pink Floyd. And I would, I would throw you two in there as well. I mean, they're very close and I'm not saying that all of those groups are awful or bad, Although I might say that for some of them, but what I'm saying is they are overrated.
0: Overrated, I would say. U two, Nirvana. Mm.
1: I agree that Nirvana overrated. I like is Nirvana, overrated. but I'm
0: just saying that they're overrated. I'm with you.
1: I like Nirvana. I do think they're overrated, but they, I don't think they'd make my top ten of most overrated. So
2: U two, Led Zeppelin, and I'm having trouble pulling the third. Well, I'll do you a favor: The Rolling Stones. Oh, okay. He didn't need the favor. Sorry. What was your favorite going to be? I was going to go pee and let you think about it. Oh, I'm going to give you a pee break,
1: <laughs> but I, I can hold it.
2: Um, all right, you two: Led Zeppelin, Rolling Stones. Yeah. All right. I'm sure I'm missing one here, but I just you know off the top of my head.
1: You 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 you'll think of it as soon as we
2: uh, end the show, and you're like, "Fuck, I missed this
1: asshole." All right. Any final thoughts?
0: No, I'm excited for next week.
1: After, after all yeah. the positivity we had this week, I can't
0: wait. There's just there's some crazy fucking twists that I want to talk about right now, and I can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: no, I like these ones that don't make
0: sense. Like there's uh, there's a lot of zigzag in here that doesn't really add up. Yeah, that's the thing about this. At least part one is no, nothing makes sense at all. Yeah. in this story. Yeah. So far.
1: Okay. We got some patron shout-outs. Thank you very much to Coley Fonky. Midge uh, Tessa Midgley, Milo Caruso, Emily Bij, Nick Pfeiffer, Tegan Hawkins, Hannah Taylor, Johnny Seeds, Steve Reynolds, Tara Grooms, Travis Eggert, N. Rinkineva, Brownie B, The Harmacist, Leilao. Brian Johnson, not the ACDC lead singer, spelled differently. (laughs) Nicole Hano, Renee Wardell, Taylor Bartz, Benjamin Griege, Poodle, Eric Evangelisti, Mike P, Spoopy Creppy Mom.
0: These are pretty clean this Mm -hmm. this week. You spoke too soon, pal. Uh,
1: Creaming so good to Mike's (laughs) Namaka.
0: (laughs) Never mind. Did you plan that? No, I didn't at all. I was just sitting here thinking it. (laughs) Connor,
1: Catherine Hawkland, Mike Shoup, Trenton Parker, Christy Screws, Blaine McCubbins, Andrew Coleman, Courtney Holmes, Mudflaps McGee. I feel like I've read that one before. (laughs) Jen, Hunter Ferguson, Majestically Awkward, Holly Putnam, J.R. Gamby, Craig Blair, Big Papa Kev, Noah, Miles Ryder, A.J. Seifert, George Howe, Elizabeth Kraft, Francesca, Gavin Flanagan, Jose Lugiano, Lujano, Field Fieldy Snuts, <laughs> and Carlos Detrace. D- Is that you, Dave? Fieldy Snuts? No. <laughs> That's just a listener submitted? Yeah. Which one was yours or did you not do one?
2: Forget. I didn't do one. <laughs> <laughs> I tricked you so good. I didn't do one.
1: Feel <laughs> these snuts is a good one. Uh, we are at
0: patreon.com slash necronomopod. Thank you very much. Ian, what do you got? For iTunes, I have one for Kiki on Taco, Big Sean, CFH, Steely T, Star Scarlet, Juicy Pussy. It's back with another Juicy
1: one. Juicy Pussy. Nice. <laughs> It's like a weekly thing. Like they just update their reviews.
2: Um, it's happened a couple of times. I
1: haven't it's seen Samantha
2: loves Dave in a while. I don't mm-hmm. know what she's doing. She didn't love me anymore. She fell out of love with you, pal. Oh,
1: Sorry. Right. She met someone else from one probably more successful podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so every time Juicy Smoothie, Juicy Poozy, Juicy Poozy uh, <laughs> submits a review, do we? Is it like a new five star rating for us. Maybe. Okay. Thanks. Pussy,
0: <laughs> Adam or Mr. Pussy, Flipper PM 09, King 1996, Brutally Blonde Wife, Podcast Commuter, Care Bear Mayor, Ryan 05, and Necropals Unite. Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. people. Yeah. A bunch of good ones lately.
2: Uh, Dave, what are we starting with tonight? Uh,
0: from the foreign listeners, we have
2: one for Harley MJ from Great Britain. All right. That's it on the, uh, the foreign list tonight. And as we said a few weeks ago, if you were a uh,
1: current or former member of our United States military, send us a DM and give you a special shout out. What do you got? Dave? Got
2: a couple of those. We have Coley funky from the Missouri National Guard, Wes Nelson from the Air National Guard, and Nikita. from. Uh, she's an Air Force vet. Thank you so much for your service, and thank you so much for listening. Uh, we appreciate you. you. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much.
1: All right. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, at Necronomapod, Amazon.com, search Necronomapod for all of our merch, Necronomapod.com. What do you still got? their stickers. There's still stickers. We no, there?
2: they're all sold out. All right, don't
1: go there then. And uh, Patreon.com slash uh for all of the bonus content at the $5 level. You're getting three bonus shows a month. At the $10 level, you're getting... Four bonus shows a month.
2: And ad-free early release episodes. Look at that. Can't beat that. Can't beat it with a fucking stick. You're
1: getting a, <laughs> sometimes on Thursdays before the Sunday Sometimes
2: release. on Wednesdays.
1: Well, that's it all rare. all depends. Rare, but yes. It happens. Occasionally on Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, typically Uh, At the very latest, by Saturday morning, you have
2: this episode for that week, uh, the next Sunday. You can brag to your friends who already listened to it while they're waiting for Sunday afternoon whenever Ian decides to get out of bed and post it. And (laughs) ad-free, no less. All
0: right, you guys ready for a cool-down beer? Cheers.